Our Bible reading is from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, beginning on page 484 in the Church Bibles. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We, we have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the in instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we hear the news or watch the news on TV, it would be a very heartless person who failed to be moved by some of the stories that we've heard over the last few weeks and months. 
thinking of the Afghan situation and the British translators who've helped the forces there, the devastating toll from natural disasters. Of the 99 murders in London so far this year, the murders of Sarah Everard and Sabina Nisa, the senseless murders, have shocked and appalled us. Yesterday, I learned that in the States, the Biden administration is removing the word mother from next year's budget for families to be replaced by birthing person. So we look forward to BP Sunday, or the East Americans might. It makes us want to weep when we hear the news. We're left feeling helpless, feeling angry, sad, upset about these and other situations. And the same is true when we receive personal news of great difficulty. Well, in Nehemiah, that we've just heard read to us, Nehemiah received some bad news. We're told it was in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, November, December, 446 BC, to be precise. And he heard this news. Those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Verse 3. We have a series of sermons over the next few weeks on the book of Nehemiah, and it's important to set the scene for his writing. It was about a thousand years after the time of Moses and 400 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And the nation of Israel and the Jewish people were in a desperate state. The northern and southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah were destroyed by the Babylonians under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. And the city of Jerusalem was destroyed and the once glorious temple of Solomon was destroyed. And when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, they deported almost everyone from the city and the region for 70 years. And when the Jews were deported to Babylon, they settled down and made homes for themselves. Many still followed the God of their fathers they did it from Babylon with no real desire to return back to the promised land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers. And some of these faithful Jews were raised up to places of prominence in the governments that they were deported to. Think of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were all leaders. And Esther, she was made queen in Persia. But after 70 years of captivity, the enlightened policies of King Cyrus, under God's hand, he was God's instrument, allowed the people to return to their homeland. As Isaiah says, Cyrus is my anointed king. I take hold of his right hand. I give him the power to bring nations under his control. And so the people returned. But of the two to three million Jews who lived in exile, and were deported. Only 50,000, roughly 2%, returned to the promised land. But they did return, and in the days of Ezra, the book that precedes Nehemiah, we're told that they rebuilt the temple and laid the spiritual foundation for Israel once again, encouraged by Haggai, who was the contemporary prophet at the time. 
And our book, Nehemiah, begins 15 years after the book of Ezra ends, about 150 years after the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. And for this long time, the walls of the city of Jerusalem were still in rubble. Under Ezra, we know that the citizens of Jerusalem had tried to rebuild the walls, but they failed and were stopped by their enemies. No one believed this problem could over, be overcome, so the walls lay in ruins and the people stayed in trouble. All would seem to be lost, but God has a plan. Nehemiah, a Jew, a high official in the Persian government, who wasn't a priest like Ezra, or a prophet like Haggai or Malachi, but a Jewish layman, was the king's cupbearer in the king's court, as chapter 1 and verse 11 reminds us. King Artaxerxes at the time was the most powerful man in the world of his day, and he reigned over the vast Persian Empire from 464 to 424 BC. Nehemiah lived in the citadel of Susa, the capital, and the home previously of Esther. As cupbearer, he was in charge of the king's wine and would be called to drink some of the wine before the king to make sure it didn't contain poison. It was such a, a position of trust, of confidence that the king had in his cupbearer. As kings of those days would be the focus of various assassination plots, which might include poisoning, and did indeed for Artaxerxes' father, Xerxes, who'd been assassinated by his chief bodyguard. But as the chief cupbearer, he was constantly at the king's side. He had a position of great influence, and he had the king's ear. And the cupbearer, if the Nehemiah's wealth is anything to go by, was well paid as he gave loans to people without interest, as we shall read in verse 5 later on. So here we have Nehemiah living in Persia in a very important role, but his mind was in Jerusalem to the people he didn't know, uh, people he'd never met, but he was concerned about them. And his brother brings him the news that the city walls have been devastated and the people are called survivors. Not a very hopeful picture. We might think that an important man like Nehemiah had more important things to think about than this distant city. Yet because his heart was on the things of God, his heart wasn't for himself, but for others. Nehemiah had the heart of the psalmist in 137 Remember that song made famous by Boney M some years ago? By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Do you want me to sing it to you? No, okay. <laughs> the writer speaks of his deep love for Jerusalem. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. That was Nehemiah's heart. And if Jerusalem was special to God, then it would also be special to Nehemiah. 
Well, how did Nehemiah react to this bad news? Verse 4 tells us, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. His reaction was beyond the immediate emotion. You and, I, you and I know that sometimes, especially as we get older, things flash through our minds. I must do something about that. And if we don't write it down or do something about it immediately, we tend to forget it unless we act on it quickly. The concern can quickly pass or most likely be forgotten. But Nehemiah's concern for his people and the state that they were in was something that was on his heart from the Lord and it remained and grew, and the burden remained until the problem that prompted it was solved. Nehemiah didn't complain, he didn't whine, he looked, didn't look about him to see who else could fix, fix the situation. He knew immediately what to do, and he prayed. And he sought God intensely in that situation. And he prays to the God of heaven. He had a clear understanding of who he fasted and prayed to. There are many gods that people trust in, but only the God of heaven can really meet human need. And God was going to use Nehemiah to do something about this situation. But first, God had something to do in Nehemiah's life. And then we see Nehemiah's prayer unfolding in verses 7, 5 to the end. It's one of the greatest prayers of the Old Testament. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant promise forever. And, I, and Nehemiah says, I pray. Not only did he pray once, but he prayed for four months before he did anything. Later, as we shall hear, when the work of rebuilding the walls actually begins, it only takes 52 days to finish the job. But that 52-day project had had a four-month spell of foundation prayer. Nehemiah took his pain and his distress to God in prayer and was able to leave it there. Because prayer relieved his distress. People may try to relieve stress through entertainment or playing sports, but all that does is divert our attention. Still others we know turn to alcohol or illegal drugs or both. Their crutch to lean on. But they may only give temporary relief, but lead to a downward spiral, as we only know too well as those of us who have to deal with People who have addictions will know only too readily. Prayer gives us strength. And when we wait on the Lord in prayer, he renews our strength and we will rise up, as Isaiah says, like eagles. I pray to the Lord of heaven, Nehemiah says, recognizing exactly who God is, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his promise. And his humility here is shown in his simple understanding of who God was, the God enthroned in heaven. Please let your ear be attentive, showing his utter and complete dependence on God. God, I can't do anything without you. I need you. Only God could help, and only God could hear. And Nehemiah knew he would help. 
as we look back at our own lives, we see that sometimes God has allowed us to be fruitless in our tasks, simply to expose our need of total dependence on him. But humility also allows Nehemiah to confess his sins to God. I confess the sins that we have sinned against you. Both my father's family and I have sinned. He didn't make any excuses. He was recognizing that he himself was a sinner. He recognized the need to make changes in his own life for the sake of his own credibility before he confronts the people and asks them to make changes. And we ourselves need to recognize that we can't excuse ourselves in our confession. We have to admit and say that if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. I was interested and at times amused by an article recently about the purpose of cabinet reshuffles. It suggested that on the face of it, prime ministers use cabinet reshuffles to get rid of ineffective ministers. But in reality, they're also trying to deflect the nation's attention away from their own failures and shortcomings by focusing the blame on others. I wonder if our respect for politicians might be greater if there was more mea culpa rather than pushing the blame onto other people. Nehemiah, make no mistake, was a godly man, but he openly and passionately put himself with his father's family and prayed by using the word we instead of they. We have sinned. We're guilty. And we're never used by God to bring blessing until God has opened our eyes and made us see things as they are in our lives. Nehemiah comes to God looking at God's promises, verses 8 to 10. Remember, he says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. It's a bit cheeky, isn't it? Remember, telling God to remember things. Surely he doesn't need to be reminded. But actually, it's a very powerful way to come to God, asking God to remember his promises. Lord, you promised to do this. Please, will you do it? The secret of great power in prayer is to plead the promises of God. It's important to keep that in mind when, as we prayed just a moment ago, Jesus taught us to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And when we understand who God is and we consider who he is, it will make us feel in need of forgiveness because we're unworthy but also to make us, like Nehemiah, dependent on God. There are times when children come up to us and tug our arms and say, you promised, you promised you'd take us down to the beach, or you promised this, or promised that, and we feel embarrassed. But prayer often demands that we ask God and say, you promised, Lord, to do this. Please, will you do it? And God fulfills his promises when we open our mouths and ask him to perform his promises. But Nehemiah not just only prays, but prays with a heart ready to do something. Let your servant be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And Nehemiah was going to do something about the sorry situation, 
not let someone else do it. And here his prayer is simply, God, use me to make it better. He prays for two things specifically, success and favor. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So he was getting to that point where he was going to Artaxerxes to ask for a favor. He desperately needs God's help because his success depends on the king's decision. And he asks for a bond of empathy or compassion which will be formed between himself and the king. Make no mistake, the risk in bringing this request before the king is considerable. Artaxerxes had a deserved reputation as a flip-flopping decision-maker, to use an American expression. And Nehemiah was humble enough to ask God, with weeping and mourning and fasting and prayer, for his help. And so four months later, the initial receipt, after the initial receipt about Jerusalem, the days arrived, and the next few weeks we'll see the result of that prayer. So what can we learn from Nehemiah in this passage? Firstly, I think we can learn that God reverses the policies of superpowers to accomplish his purposes when we pray. Secondly, God put on Nehemiah's heart the plight of his people. We can't solve the problem of every needy person in the world, but maybe we're part of the solution for some. Sometimes God's sovereignty places us where we can help. He expects us to do our part where we're called. If you're fortunate enough to be working today, God might want to use you, will want to use you in the place where you're working. Nehemiah confesses the sins of the people and appeals to God on the basis of God's own name and promises and reputation, not on his own reputation. And he appeals to God on the basis of God's promises. He prays for four months. Sometimes we need to learn patience in prayer as we bring matters to our Heavenly Father. And finally, we can learn that Nehemiah acts on the basis of his prayer, willing to put himself in personal danger, in his case, in order to see God's will accomplished. What of ourselves as we seek to serve the Lord, wherever that may be, in our homes, in our places of work? What does God want to use us for? We can be sure that he wants to use us, but only as we truly depend on him. Let's bow our heads to pray together. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your servant, Nehemiah, for all that we can learn from his life of his dependence upon you. Help us to claim your promises as we seek to serve you in the places where we live and work, that your name may be glorified through us and your kingdom be extended for Jesus' sake. Amen.